So uh, let's just conclude by, by having you talk a little bit about the cowboy Jesus. Um, it seems like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that that is probably the one moment in the book or the character in the book that probably people have uh, provided you the most feedback about. Um, so talk whatever you want to about uh, how you came up with it and most importantly what, what it meant to you and what it has meant to others. Right, the, uh, and what is uh, it? Or, or, or if you want to leave that for the person to read the book, that's okay too. Or not. Yeah, well, from the start of writing the book, I had in mind that of, of, a, uh, of turning it in the direction of Frank, first the ardent backslider and then, the, and then a Mormon monk, having him arrive at enough of a sense of atonement and forgiveness in the sight of God that he could relax and live his life happily including marrying, uh, being married, uh, conventionally married to his formerly Gentile wife that's converting now as the novel ends to Mormonism. Uh, so it seemed to me that Frank needed some kind of inner conversion and I, I think that people who are deeply conflicted sometimes come to a kind of, the, the, the psyche heals itself, they come to a kind of, of uh, settlement in, uh, within themselves. But uh, often with religious people, I think the, the uh, resolution of intense conflict is, is accompanied by some kind of, of religious experience, even epiphany or vision. And uh, Frank, comes from a family who believe in visions, and a lot of Latter-day Saints do, and more so a hundred or fifty years ago even than they do now. But uh, the, uh, I decided, Frank, that we need to have a, a Frank needs to have a vision. And in the Earlier in the novel, I have him have negative visions that he thinks have come from God. And, and they have to do with him re becoming a, a almost, a, well, a entirely self-punitive Mormon on the assumption that that's pleasing to God. Um, but, uh, so I thought, well, it won't be entirely unrealistic to have Frank have some kind of a, a vision or an epiphany, but it struck me that what well, the nature of it was going to be very crucial because it seemed to me that if I had, say, God the Father and God the Son descend from the heavens and speak to Frank, that that just wasn't going to go in that book. So I was puzzled to the, uh, to the very end. Uh, almost of uh, I was well into the final chapter before it finally occurred to me how how to handle the problem uh, uh, the cowboy Jesus now you need to know that uh, early in the novel first chapter in fact when Frank uh, first meets Marianne uh, she emotes over her uh, mild Protestant 
faith and feelings, and she's a Lutheran, uh, uh, but she speaks of a pleasant daydream she has in which uh, a cowboy approaches her. Uh, she's lost, and she realizes as he gets closer on his horse that it's Jesus, and he says to her, uh, well, you're lost, I expect, but now you're found, and she feels nice. Now, in the novel, of course, Marianne goes through an evolution of disdaining Frank's Mormonism and then realizing that, that he uh, really loves her and he has got her pregnant. She not, uh, when he believed he didn't love her and they've married, he's making things good. Uh, she uh, agrees to become a Mormon and uh, uh, is trying sincerely to, to get a testimony, to put it one way. Uh, but she uh, accedes to Frank's terribly ascetic way of life. They, they, they have agreed to have sex only when they want to have babies and they eat unpalatable food and and uh, uh, it, it's bad scene but uh, this particular night uh, in the final chapter the culmination of Frank's asceticism comes with that episode where he has Marianne tie the gloves on his hands so he won't masturbate in his sleep he He's been refraining from having sex with her, but uh, he, he'll still wake up on occasion and masturbate in his sleep, so he has his hands tied. But then in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he shouts for her to come take the gloves off, and she doesn't want to, but he insists, and then he, he forces her to have sex. Uh, she's not against it in principle pregnant though she is, she's just against it because she knows what, how he's going to feel about it when he gets really waked up. And uh, they do it, and she merely pleads with him not to regret it. But he then goes and commits this terribly violent act, the second vi graphically violent act of the novel, where he scrapes the skin off the back of his hand with a grater, vegetable grater. And she has uh, earlier said to him that she has repudiated her vision of the cowboy Jesus. Uh, she knows that Jesus isn't kind. She knows now that his Jesus is right. His Jesus is the rider on the white horse in the book of the Apocalypse that brings death and destruction to the earth. But she bandages Frank's hand and sends him off for a uh, long-haul trip to northern Utah from the ranch in southern Utah and shouts to him as he leaves the ranch house. She says, I, I don't believe in your cowboy, I don't believe in your Jesus. I, I believe in the cowboy Jesus. I can't believe in any other kind of Jesus. Well, that was the first time I was using it simply as a way of characterizing Marianne, showing first she had this sweet, beautiful concept of 
a kind Jesus, then trying to be the kind of Mormon Frank thinks he ought to be. She is trying to switch over to the Jesus of the apocalypse and then repudiates it, goes back, shouts at him as he leaves. Well, that was when it dawned on me, there is Frank's epiphany. That's what Frank is going to see when he gets back from this trip and goes through with the baptism of Mary Ann, since that they're going to go through that ceremony the next day. Uh, and uh, I guess it was two days later. But at any rate, uh, that, that, that struck me as being the right, something that was workable. Well, of course, at the baptism, Frank goes ahead and baptizes her. And they're in their dress, respective dressing rooms. Well, she leaves, goes back upstairs, but he's still in the dressing room. And he uh, approaches a, the urinal and uses it and flushes it. And there's this sound of, flo of flooding water, of course, that you hear in a urinal. But earlier, Frank had associated visions with a rushing sound, the Holy Ghost. And suddenly, he has a vision, and he sees a stand of juniper trees, and out of the junipers rides this cowboy. And it's Jesus, and uh, with a very kind face, and then Jesus says, you're lost, etc. And, and they go through this, this fairly long uh, discourse where Frank tells Jesus all the long list of th bad things about his life, his griefs and how he can't discipline himself to leave his wife alone and, and uh, how he hates good food. I mean, he hates bad, he hates the healthy food, his vegetarian diet of his mother and that he believes in and he's still dedicated to evil foods like pie and ham and things that taste good and so on. Well, Jesus finally <laughs> More or less, just gently tells him, get off it. Why don't you relax and enjoy your wife like a man with some good sense would do, etc. And Jesus even lights up a cigarette, a Bull Durham, the old cowboys used to wear those. And Frank was early in the, in the 50s. Men still smoked, Mormon men still smoked Bull Durham. It was cheap. And... Uh, uh, you rolled your own cigarettes. And that's what Jesus had done, was rolled himself one and was smoking. And, uh, but when it's over, Frank suddenly has been saved and he knows it. And a little later, as the novel comes to an end, he tells Mary Ann, well, I had a vision, I can't tell you too much more about it, but Jesus is kind, just like you always said. Now, uh, that ends the novel, but my, my, uh, it has always seemed the right ending to me. And it offends a lot of people, the smoking part and the urinal part. Uh, Dick Craycroft calls it the vision of our Lord of the urinal. And, uh, uh, and a lot of people just cannot take Jesus lighting up one and smoking it. But, and it was evil nature on my part to put that in, kind of knowing it would irritate on the one hand. On the other hand, the message is, uh, 
uh, why don't we get focused on important things in the in, uh, in, uh, matter of ethics, what's right and what's wrong. And, and uh, the word of wisdom is a, is a voice of moderation in all things. And to pin it down to one bad thing or another, well, anyway, that's the vision of the cowboy Jesus. And what has been people's reaction to it? Or tell us a story that would illustrate that. Well, uh, of course, the people that don't like it are—I I guess a lot wouldn't. They—they they probably don't read the book in the first place. But uh, I had no idea the book would become meaningful to to Mormons. Uh, I don't know who I was writing it for. I can see I was writing it for Mormons, but I wasn't really very conscious of that when I was doing it. But. Very soon after it came out, a nephew of mine, uh, uh, excuse me, a cousin, uh, the son of one of my cousins, first cousins, uh, told me he had bought two copies of it and he had, oh, he came to the BYU bookstore where I was signing it before they caught on there, what it was about. But uh, the, he bought two copies and that worried me that he was doing that. But he said he, later he met me on the steps of the Salt Lake Courthouse and he said he had given it, he, he and his father had given it to, to two friends and it had turned them around in their faith. Which startled me to think that was the first inkling I had that the book seemed to firm a lot of Mormons up in their faith rather than doing the opposite, which I wondered. And, and your intent was probably neither way. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. It didn't occur to me that it would be become a factor in making more people be Mormons, keep remain Mormons. But I, I've had uh, numerous over the years communications, and I still probably get one a month. Uh, these twenty years later, from somebody who has just for the first time read the backslider. And the uh, it talks about how meaningful it is, and uh, and how it's helped him stay Mormon. One woman told me at a party that it helped her accept the for the first time that her father's that her father who had committed suicide wouldn't be damned. She said your book made me think maybe there's hope for him. So uh, uh, some people have talked about it as if it's scripture. They've, they will talk about reading the passage over and over and over about the vision. Um, so uh, it's emerged. I, yeah, it was a very notable thing, and uh, I didn't know that wasn't planned. It just it happened. Yeah. Do you um, do you at all see the 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 process of, of coming up with that figure, Cowboy Jesus, as inspiration? Or do you just see it as, <laughs> as just uh, well, why not? What, I, you, what you had for dinner? And... I thought it gets, you know, people tell me that I've, well, I'm, I'm just missing the promptings of the Holy Ghost over and over. They're there, but I, just, I write them off as something else. I don't mind that. Uh, it's okay. You know, if uh, people worry about in fact, I'm not married to my wife in the temple. And I say, don't you 
wish you had her for eternity. And I say, well, my, my God, he's not impressed by a ceremony over an altar. He's impressed by whether people have loved each other. And uh, he's not going to be that petty and mean if, if, uh, if people have loved each other. Not, I just can't believe in that kind of a God. So uh, do, you, do you have a sense for how many copies the, the book has sold? Oh, I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. I'm, my books aren't big business. They, my income from royalties are very modest and always have been for all of them. Uh, the biography of Juanita Brooks won a $10,000 award, so that <laughs> it's the most profitable. But uh, no, I don't know. It, it came out in the blue... Slick paperback copy, and then it came out in a much reduced trade paperback copy, and that's the one that's sold and sold and sold, still on the market. And then just recently, uh, uh, last year, the signature book published the, a very fine, enlarged hardback copy with uh, etchings about, including the cowboy Jesus in it. And uh, so the book's still very much alive these 20 years later and still on sale by the same publisher. Uh, the blue-covered the blue covered book is long out of print, but the, uh, the small paperback, yet very inexpensive, still there, and that's the one people can afford it. And just for historical sake, if, if people were going to try and ballpark it in the hundreds and the you know low thousands, 10,000, do you even have a... Well, ballpark range. Yeah, somewhere toward ten thousand, but not more. I don't think. I don't. I haven't. Don't know for sure. I don't think so. Okay. We're not dealing with big business and anything I write. Sure. Do I remember correctly that you had hoped to maybe sell it to a big publishing house, and you'd even gone to New York and tried? Well, yeah, I didn't go there, but I submitted it to three publishers and two. Uh, top-level agents, and all of the, uh, uh, one of the publishers and two of the and the two agents looked at it really closely and spoke respectfully of it, but said it won't sell in our market. And, uh, so, and they probably knew what they're talking about. So, uh, I was grateful just to have Signature Book take it and publish it. See, Signature's done well by me, and I appreciate them. Uh, uh, Jared Hess of the Napoleon Dynamite, Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre fame uh, approached me uh, uh, a year ago last summer when I was at the Sunstone about doing a movie of the backslider and I, I was very agreeable and uh, I, I went to Ron Brittis at Signature because they hold the copyright and he was agreeable and and uh, a year ago, January, it uh, looked like uh, the Hess's uh, agency in uh, Los Angeles was giving it a serious consideration. But uh, I had no answer from Jared until finally I phoned him this summer and he said uh, that it, it had, uh, had fallen through, uh, which I rather expected. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it'd make a, it'd be really hard to turn into a film, I think. Not for Dutcher. Well, yeah, Dutcher. 
Well, Dutcher's done, uh, in, in, my, in my judgment, Dutcher's three Mormon films are, are classics already, and they, they will be. Uh, I think classics aren't necessarily bestsellers, but they sit there, and the critics slowly start absorbing them and talking about them, and and uh, the I feel a great affinity with with uh, Richard because uh, uh, he he uh, I admire greatly how he, particularly in Brigham City and um, States of Grace, how he he deals with uh, the atonement. That's what he's dealing with. Uh, that scene in Brigham City, where the bishop refuses the the sacrament, and then the ward members won't take it until he finally does. Uh, that was a, that was a, a genius stroke, I thought, on Dutcher's part. Uh, uh, there's a a kind of overstatement in some of Dutcher's portrayals, like in States of Grace. They all end up, you remember, over at the crash of the, this living baby Jesus. Uh, and I can't remember if all of them kneel, but some of them do. And you could say, well, that's not going to happen in re real life. Well, no. But it struck me as just the right, exactly right statement. And that's a profound film on the atonement. And... People, for example, think that the adultery that the poor elder gets into, the fornication that sends him home and writhing with guilt, is too quickly done and, and agreed, but sometimes you have to do that in a work of art. I think Dutcher's a, a great artist, and whether he, I think that'll stand whether he does anything more or not. One of the things Dutcher expresses, well, first of all, a lot of the people who have written questions for this interview for you um, have compared you to, to Richard Dutcher, and uh, and they've sort of seen you as this champion of candid, earthy, um, heartfelt Mormon literature that's sort of real, and they sort of see that as Richard, uh, in Richard as well for cinema. And that reminded me of the statement that Richard's been saying lately, that he used to fear, um, you know, that... Uh, <clears throat> he, he used to really try and drive people... Um, to make sure that Mormonism would express itself in its most meaningful and sincere ways through through cinema. And now as he's reflected upon that, that, that really what he sees is that maybe this kitsch and this, uh, this cheesy humor-based sort of Mormon cinema that, that we've been, that's been inflicted upon us for the past couple of years from Hale Entertainment and others really is the ultimate expression of, of, <laughs> of Mormonism and that Mormons have expressed themselves and that unfortunately that's the best that, that Mormons really have to express. In both literature and in cinema, does that resonate with you? Do you take a slightly less cynical approach? Maybe he's being provocative, but do you have any, you know, some people see you as a champion for candid, you know, quality Mormon literature as well. So well, do you have any thoughts on, yeah. you know, the, well, I think the distinction people make between the serious work of art, the serious novel, the serious film, and the popular novel, popular uh, serious novel, is valid, even though the two tend to meet 
at a certain point. Uh, but I think it's inevitable that you will have this kind of popularized version of the Mormon film and comedy and and that the for a lot of viewers that's satisfactory. Uh, I, I think Richard would have to simply be satisfied with the, his feeling that he did his best and he did it the way he wanted to do it. Uh, that's certainly the way I feel about what I've written. The the uh, uh, Probably the most outstanding Mormon novelist I know of right now is almost totally unrecognized, and that's Rob Van Wagener. He's up there living on the Skagit River, 100 miles north of right here in Issaquah. He's up in a little town on the Skagit called Concrete. Lives there on 12 acres right on the, he and his wife and two sons right there on the border of the Skagit River. And all Rob does is write, and he's got this Mormon, it's really a Mormon murder mystery, uh, and it's been looked at by some big houses very closely, but finally it doesn't quite fit their, their formula for a murder mystery. They, they want him somehow to make it fit the, the popular sense of what a murder mystery ought to be. And Rob is treated like the artist he is. He's an impeccable craftsman of the word. And, uh, I, and I have no idea whether, he, he. I think he may revise it. He's working at revising it. But whether, I have no idea what will happen with it. And I hope it gets published. Now it gets published by a big house back east. That would be a triumph for him and Mormon literature too. But uh, nonetheless, Rob, Rob is a true artist of words. And, and he's the foremost that I know of right now in, uh, in Mormon letters. And I suppose that's where Richard's at. But what more he does, who knows? Hope we hope for more, and maybe he'll do it. And do you have any final thoughts on what uh, Mormon literature, Mormon art is, isn't, or should be? Well, I think Mormonism, uh, Mormon art ought to express Mormonism in some manner. Uh, the world still hung up, the non-Mormon reader still hung up on the fact that Mormon, Mormonism is still a proselytizing religion. A Mormon, the typical conservative Mormon, wants other people to be Mormons. And the, they're always a little puzzled why they're not quite accepted in, in the culture. Well, it's because of this sense of moral superiority. You're more or less saying to your non-Mormon friend, you need what I've got here, even though the friend may feel pretty satisfied with what he or she has. So uh, I, uh, I, I don't think, you know, should Mormon writers start doing what Orson Scott Card does and, uh, and, uh, and slip Mormon themes subtly into a, a kind of literature that the non-Mormon is accustomed to? Well, yeah, if you want to. It wouldn't satisfy me uh, because I want, I want to write about 
Mormons, not about. I mean, my, my sense of, I like to write realistically, and all I know well enough to write um, closely is Mormons. And that's why I would call for a Mormon literature rather than a, a general American literature that somehow reflects Mormon themes.